Well, good morning again, everyone. We are so glad you're here at Randall Church this morning. Uh, it is a really exciting Sunday. It's a really special Sunday. I don't know, has anyone ever seen the movie Mr. Holland's Opus? You know, it's got a, kind of that Mr. Holland's Opus vibe to it. I, it's really, really cool. It's, it's, it's amazing to see uh, so many uh, new faces and old faces here uh, celebrating the life of Pastor Will. What was neat about that video is uh, uh, Pastor Milo and I actually got to watch it uh, this week and uh, his son, Stan, was in the room with us as we were watching it. And as the pictures went, he actually gave us stories behind the pictures. That if you know him and you knew his life, uh, these, these photos actually represent way more than just the image itself. We saw pictures of him in his Boy Scout uniform. We saw pictures of him next to his first car, which was pretty sweet, by the way. That's not what my first car looked like at all. Uh, we saw pictures of him, sort of that last image at the end of him uh, uh, here at Randall and before, just before that, uh, sailing. And I didn't know Pastor Will sailed, but when I saw the pictures and it was explained to me that he loved to sail, I thought, well, of course. I mean, Pastor Will did everything, right? Like, why am I not surprised that he also knew how to sail? Like, that just seemed like that. But one thing that really stuck out to me is, as Stan was uh, explaining uh, just his love for sailing, is he, he, he mentioned something that's really stuck with me. I've, I've been thinking about it ever since he said it. He said this, when dad was sailing, that's when he felt most alive. Just out on that water. He said, when dad was sailing, that is when he felt most alive. And like I said, I've been reflecting on that thought because for our church family, there's a sobering reality to this weekend. And that is that while we celebrate someone who lived for 100 years, we also mourn someone who was only given half that time. Melanie Weber, a church member, a friend, a mentor, a mother, a wife of one of our elders, Dan Weber, passed away early Friday morning uh, to melanoma. And Melanie knew Jesus, so it is comforting to know that she too now is getting small tastes of out on the water, that she is most alive right now. But for those of us who are left, who knew her, there is a tension in the air this morning. And if you're, if you're visiting with us, just know we as a church community, there's a tension in the air this morning. As we figure out how to celebrate such a wonderful man and yet grieve someone that feels like her life was cut too short. But what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't pass over the tension. It is full of stories of success and failure, victory and defeat, life and death. And the story we've been walking through here at Randall this summer is the story of Joseph. And we've looked at his success and failure. We've looked at his victory and defeat. We've looked at his life. And today now we look at his death. What we're going to find is that Joseph too lived fully alive. So let's peek in and see how Genesis reflects on his life as we reflect on the white life of Pastor Will and of Melanie. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to Genesis chapter 50, the last lines of the book. Genesis 50 will be starting in verse uh, uh, 22. And it says this. Joseph 
stayed in Egypt. Along with all of his uh, father's family, he lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of the land to the land he promised and on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The first thing that as we read this passage and we see the details that Genesis gives to us, the details of the life that Joseph lived, this fully alive life, we see that he lived a full life. Joseph lived a full life. First, it says that he lived 110 years. Now, in Egyptian literature, which is a weird way to start any sentence, but in Egyptian literature, it was believed that 110 was the ideal lifespan. There's writings about it that those who have lived 110 years, that's sort of the, what you're going for. It's living a full life. And so symbolic, we see this number just at the beginning. He lived 110 years. And we're not talking numerical because in the Old Testament, long life was symbolic of someone who lived faithfully. The Psalms praises those who live long to see their generations. In fact, that's the next line in our passage. And he saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Joseph saw to the third generation, that is his great-grandchildren. And just like long life, children was also a symbolic sign of God's grace. Literally, you were spreading. You were seeing the fruit of your labor. And so the Bible is giving us a picture of what type of life Joseph lived. But it also gives us this other detail, which on the surface almost seems like a throwaway line. Like, why do we need to know this? It says, also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Interesting. Now, to be placed at birth on someone's knees is, means to be adopted. So he adopted these children as his own. And what's, what, what we find, the, the reason that we're given this is because of the name, the name Makir. It means to be sold. One who is sold. Does that ring any bells to Joseph's life? A few weeks ago, we talked about Joseph skewing the details of his story. He's in the pit. And he's talking to a cupbearer, a fellow inmate. And he begins telling his story. And he kind of fudges the story so that he doesn't give the full details. Has anyone ever done that? You know, you're just not too, you don't re, you want to just shed it in a, a different type of light. And so he tells the man that he was kidnapped, which we know isn't true. He wasn't sold, he wasn't uh, stolen, he was sold. If you're kidnapped, somebody at home loves you and wants you to come back. If you're sold, there isn't. So we see in this little bit that Joseph is still upset. He's still ashamed. He's still unwilling to share his story. And so he tells the guy, well, I was um, kidnapped. 
But now we find at the end of his life, when he looks back on how God has used him, it says that he adopts his story. He adopts him. He adopts what God has done for him. By the end of his life, he finally embraces it. And in fact, just a few lines earlier in verse 19, he reassures his brothers. He says, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, those who live a full life adopt their story. They embrace the victories and the defeats, and they are not enslaved by their past. They're able to see God's intention in it. So we find Joseph lives a full life. He looks forward at his generations, and he looks backward at his story, and he adopts it. I was having lunch with Pastor Will in his kitchen a while back, and as he shared stories from his past, he kind of paused for a moment, and he said, I've lived a full life. And we know that to be true about him. Like I said, I'm not, when you're not surprised somebody just randomly knows how to sail, that, that's my definition of a good, full life. But I would change that slightly. He hasn't lived a good life. He's living a good life. Not just in the past, but in the present. We're celebrating his 100th birthday, which means, Pastor Will, if you're here, uh, you still got 10 years to go to get to Joseph. So uh, I I can't imagine what that party is going to look like 10 years from now. We're already going to have to start planning it now. Stan is is shaking his head now. Uh, 10 years to go, Pastor Will. But we're celebrating 100 years of Pastor Will. And he has and will continue to live faithfully. And, he ha- and he's done it for years. That you, we are all, you are all a testament to that. He has seen the third generation of his children. If you're a family member of Pastor Will, would you just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you and say thank you. There you are. A lot of them are in the back. Thank you for coming. We're so appreciative. Can you give them a round of applause? <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. He's got some grandchildren here this morning, but at home, at their home, he even has some great-grandchildren. He is literally seen to the third generation God's faithfulness to him and God's faithfulness to his family. It's a wonderful testament in that. And he's adopted his story. He's adopted the story God has for him. One thing I've always wondered about Pastor Will is why he was never a senior pastor. I mean, when you've been here for 64 years, you'd think eventually you'd have made your way up the ladder enough to be a senior pastor. And in fact, when we were talking to Stan, Stan actually uh, brought this up. And he said this, and this has stuck with me too. He said, Jack always knew he wasn't a senior pastor. That wasn't for him. He knew what God had called him to, and that was enough. You see, Pastor Will adopted his story. He knew God intended good to be accomplished through him, regardless of his position, whether he was in a pit or a palace. And we have been asking for stories of people who knew Pastor Will best. And one of the themes that Pastor Milo actually noticed is that Pastor Will didn't like to waste time. 
This has been coming out in the stories as we've been asking him. Many tell the story of his music classes. When they or their child were less than focused, Pastor Wu would say, if you're not going to practice and you're just going to watch the clock, go home, don't waste your time. The irony is that Pastor Will will have more time than most of us ever will. And yet he is the one to remind us not to waste it. Friends, don't waste your life. Live it to the full. But we also know that longevity is merely symbolic of someone who has lived a full life. Because Melanie only lived 55 years, but her life was no less full. A life, a full life is not about the number of years you lived, but the faithfulness in the years you've been given. So whether you, our lives are short or long, don't waste it and live it to the full. And now we're given more detail about Joseph's life and we find out something else, a very interesting thing that I never considered until I read it. And it says this, Joseph lived a fixed life. And I don't mean fixed negatively, like stuck or just unwilling to change. I mean he was willing to commit himself to one place for a long, long time. It says at the very first line of our, of our passage, Joseph stayed in Egypt. And then the last line. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph lived 93 years in Egypt, even though it was not his hometown, even though he was sold into slavery there, he stayed in Egypt. He was buried in Egypt. And we're given these burial details to contrast it with the father's burial, Jacob, a few verses earlier. In Genesis 49, starting in verse 29, it says this, then Jacob gave his sons these instructions. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, the cave of the field of Machpelah near Mamrir in Canaan, which Abraham bought, bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephraim the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. You see, Jacob was a Canaanite. He was living in the land of promise. He had only, at the end of his life, gone to Egypt. So when he died, he wanted to be go home. He wanted to be buried where he had committed his life. But Joseph was called to Egypt, to a distant land. And so he stays, and at the end of his life, he's placed in a coffin in Egypt. You see, some of you are like Jacob, this is your land. This is where you were born, and this is where you will die. And you understand that there is something powerful about rootedness, about committing yourself to an area, to this area, for a long, long time. But others of us are like Joseph. We've been called to other lands. Buffalo is not your hometown, but God has you here and wants you to invest to commit to be fully here. And this can be hard because we often remember the lands of our past with rosy-colored glasses, don't we? 
We tend to think more favorably of the past. Things were always better back then or back there. In fact, the Israelites fell into this trap in the desert. Often when things got hard, they would long to return to Egypt, the place of slavery for them. And in one story, they get sick of the food. Of all things, they get sick of the food and they start to complain and grumble. And it says this, they cry out, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They look at the past and they forget. Because everything looks better in the past, right? Everything looks, looks better. The melon, remember the melons, remember the garlic, remember all this good stuff. Are slaves getting that stuff? But I love about it is it says, at no cost. And how mistaken they are. It was at great cost. Their very freedom. You see, we can be enslaved, trapped, stuck in the memories and the ghosts of the past. And it will prevent us from being free, available, and open in the present. So regardless if you're a townie or a traveler, we are called to remain and invest in the place God has us right now. We all have to hang the curtains. I had a friend uh, who had moved to this area a while back and she had been there for five years. And she came in one day and you could tell she had, a, she had just experienced a moment. We asked, like, what's, what's going on? And she said, I, I gotta be honest, I, um, I have been holding back here for a long time. You see, she moved from Colorado to this area in Western New York and she loved Colorado. It was the place she grew up. It was a place where she had so many memories and she said it was so hard to move here that I had mentally and emotionally stayed there. And she said this would come up in lots of different little ways, but one way that I noticed is that we had these big bay windows in our house when we moved in and I thought when we moved in, man, that would be, you know, these really could use some curtains. We could really use some curtains here. But because she was still mourning and grieving and, and, and remaining somewhere else, she never got around to it. And she said, a, a few days ago, I, I was praying and got, I had a moment with the Lord. And he said, you need to invest. You are not fully here it's time to hang the curtains. And so she did. And she had just come from hanging her curtains. And she said, I know it's just curtains. But there's something more to the curtains. Friends, it's time to hang the curtains. It's time to be fully invested here. And Pastor Will is the epitome of someone who has remained and invested. I was reflecting on the day I was born, he had been at Randall Church for 31 years. <laughs> like that, like I can't even wrap my brain around that. He has faithfully served this church for 64 years. 
He has remained. And there is something powerful when you root yourself in a place and say, I will be here, I will be for you forever. So until, if ever, God calls you away, let us learn from the life of Pastor Will and let us hang the curtains. So while Joseph remained and invested, though, in the land, just like Pastor Will has remained and invested in this land, he also knew that this wasn't his final destination. And so he also lived a focused life. A focused life. Verses 24 and 25 say this. God will surely come, says Joseph, to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry up my bones up from this place. The reality is this. Wherever we are, whether you're a townie or a traveler, none of us are home yet. We are all sojourners. We're all foreigners in the land. The Psalms speak of it this way. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover its pools. They go from strength to strength till each appear before God in Zion. Now, in the Old Testament, the land of Israel, the promised land, was a physical representation of our heavenly home. It was where we would be at complete rest. Mount Zion, our heavenly home, the promised land. And notice the repetition when Joseph, Joseph talks about the land. The word up is actually mentioned eight times in his two descriptions of the land. First in Genesis 50, it says this. Now therefore, he's talking to Pharaoh after his, his father has died. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him, he went up all of his servants. Then uh, continuing in verse 24, God will surely come to your aid and take you up. And then a little later, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. It's almost like the scripture is trying to tell us something. Joseph's heart was set upward. He is buried in Egypt, but he has his heart set on pilgrimage. He's buried in Egypt, but his bones will go somewhere else. Now, this seems a bit odd. What, what's up with the bones? What's going on here? Well, this part of the Bible is actually written in Hebrew. And in the language, the word for bones can also mean might, power, or vigor. And over time, these meanings began to be connected so that eventually bones became a symbol of one's inward strength and identity. It was who you were at the deepest levels. Maybe you've heard the expression, that house has good bones. It's strong. The internal nature, the things that you might not be able to see on the outside are there and strong on the inside. Your flesh will rot, but your bones remain. So when you broke a bone, it became a deep idiom for internal disconnect for someone, something inside of you. 
And we find that Joseph is buried in Egypt, but his bones, who he is, the deepest parts of his soul, long to go home. Long to go to the promised land. He has his heart set on pilgrimage. He is focused on the future, which allows him to be faithful in the present. When I think about this, I I can't help but think about Melanie. And she would often sing on our worship team. And the last Sunday she sang was two months ago. And I remember it vividly because we all knew the situation. We all knew what she was up against. And so when she sang, she sang. And she believed the words in a way I've never seen before. And the closing song that Sunday Sunday was the hymn, There is a Redeemer. And in the last verse it reads, When I stand in glory, I will see his face. And there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. There is a holy place coming. The promised land is coming. And for those of us who are faithful, for those of us who look upward, we'll be buried here, but our bones will go up. But your bones will not go up because you are a good person, but only because you put your faith in the one who lived the ultimate, full, fixed, and fulfilled, focused life, Jesus Christ. I'd like to invite uh, our musicians up as we close. You see, Jesus lived the fullest life possible. He was obedient to God the Father unto death, even death on a cross, to pay the penalty for your sins. You can try to find meaning, satisfaction, and purpose in lots of things, but in the end, they will leave you empty. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and life to the full. And Jesus was called from the furthest land possible, from heaven to earth itself, to restore us and make a way back to God. And Jesus lived the most focused life possible. Even in the face of death, he says, not my will, but your will be done. And in the end, not one of Jesus' bones were broken. We are feeling today more than ever, the reality that you might have a hundred years to live or it might feel like our life is cut short. So what are you going to do? If you've never put your faith in Jesus, today is the day. Grab a connection card there in the pew in front of you. Let us know. You can put those in the offering. We're about to take our offering If you're ready to fix your eyes on a full life, we would love to help you get going on that. 
And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, or if you have, if you are following the way of Jesus, then let us march on. Let us look to the life of Pastor Will as a model for what it looks like to live a full, fixed, and focused life. And may we get on the sails of our boats. And may we live fully alive. Ushers, if you'll come down, let's pray. Lord, on this day we are humbled. We're humbled by your grace. We're humbled by uh, the example we have in Pastor Will. We're humbled, Lord, by the reality of Melanie. And we resonate with the fact that we could live a hundred years or we could live less. So Lord, what do you want us to do now? Lord, we are grateful that the end of the story does not end in the tomb. The story does not end in the grave. We will be buried, but our bones will go somewhere else because we follow the one who went before us. So may we fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And may we live a full, focused, fixed life. In your name I pray, amen.